Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. Well, we're a couple weeks from Easter. And as is my custom often as we approach the Easter season, I thought it would be kind of fun to uh, look at some of the teachings of Jesus from the New Testament. Now, we're not typically a Bible-based organization here, and, uh, and, and to be honest, it will be bible light, as they say, so if any of you are fearful of, of, of Scripture, no need to worry. Um, but, but I think what is uh, interesting of the master teacher, Jesus, is he really is teaching at a level that has everyday wisdom to us. And, uh, and, and so that's where, where I'm going. But of course, if we're going to talk about uh, Bible interpretation, we probably ought to have a joke about Bible interpretation first, don't you think? So Billy was finally old enough to sit with the grown-ups in regular church. He listened intently to the pastor reading and interpreting some of Moses' adventures from the Old Testament. After the service, he got in line to talk to the pastor and to ask a question. Pastor Jones, he said, according to the Bible, the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, right? And, and as part of leaving Egypt, well, that's right, said Pastor Jones. And later, said Billy, they were responsible for throwing out the Philistines and building the temple. Is that right? Well, that is true, Billy. You're right. Well, then, said Billy, if the children of Israel did all of these things, what were the adults doing? <laughs> Bible interpretation can have its problems. And, uh, and so I want to stress, I want to start off by stressing that, that in a Science of Mind Center, we do actually interpret Bible stories a little differently than, than most people. And so uh, in your, your handout, uh, I actually gave you a little bit of a do-it-yourself guide. So, so when you're bored or, you, you know, when you're in a motel room and there's only one book to read, um, I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. Um, this will actually lead you through how to interpret scripture. And it will apply to whether you're reading the Bhagavad Gita in the Indian tradition, whether you're reading the Vedas, or indeed whether you're reading the New Testament. So I'm focusing today um, on the New Testament, and in particular one of the parables of Jesus called the parable of the sower. And uh, first of all, uh, for, for Bible studies here, we look at a parable on three levels. The literal level, the metaphysical or figurative level, and then the personal level. So, and I think we might even need a little bit of education around the literal level, because this is a parable about what farming would have been like 2,000 or more years ago. And as you can imagine, things are a little different now. Today, we have machines that do most of the, the work on a farm, right? There would be a, a huge machine that would, that would amend and till up the soil and put everything in nice, perfect rows, and then a machine would later come by and perfectly plant the seeds right into the middle of those rows. There'd be other machines that would come through and, and spray and kill off weeds, or, or maybe if it's an organic farm, all they would do is come through and water, but, but nonetheless, you know, lots of machinery involved, and taking sure that everything is just so. 
But a couple thousand years ago, that actually isn't the way it worked at all. Known machinery, only the richest people on the planet might have even had an ox or something to help with tilling. Most people tilled the land by hand, whether they put them in straight rows or not, you know, totally up to the farmer of the moment. Often that wasn't the case. And in fact, the poorest people did little more than than an implement a little bit like a rake and a little bit like a broom. And they would kind of rough up the ground outside their little farm and then sow the seeds into that without any particular tilling at all. And the sowing of the seeds, very different of course than today, people would literally have a sack of seeds strapped around their waist. They would reach in with one hand and as they were walking a row, they would literally be tossing the seeds out. Now you might be thinking, even as I'm sort of illustrating this, well, how haphazard is that? Some areas are going to get way more seeds than it needs. I mean, you can't really be scientific about this process, right? And you'd get to the end of the row and you'd turn around and walk back. And of course, some areas are getting a double dose of seeds and some areas aren't getting anything. And you might think, well, well, how productive is this? So let's read the parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because of not enough root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still others, however, fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you. So the literal meaning, literally some advice or some observations about how crops are planted. But you'll notice just in the last two lines, Jesus is already telling us, you know, there's another layer to this. There's a metaphysical reason to this. And, and, uh, and so the way we approach metaphysical interpretation of a parable in Science of Mind the easiest thing to do is if you think about it, cast God in the, the lead character's role in whatever the story is. So in this particular story, God would be the sower. And because we're metaphysics, meaning beyond the physical, what is it that God is always giving us? What is it that is constantly being sewn out into the world. Well, we're using uh, a lovely book this month uh, called Ernest Seals' Learn to Live. And, and let me give you a, an introduction to, uh, to his interpretation of this particular parable. He says, God, or wisdom, is like the sower, and he sows this world and everything in it with the truths of life. They are being broadcast all the time, everywhere, indiscriminately. They are continually falling upon everyone's minds like grains upon a field. What our minds individually do with that seed depends upon the nature of our minds. Our minds are like the soil, different minds of different composition, of different quality, and different states of development. Well, I got to say, at first, I was not anxious to be compared to dirt, but it did occur to me, it did occur to me 
that there is a fundamental lesson here, right? If we believe that God is infinite, it means that the infinity of God, whether it be love or joy or peace, whether it be, be hope or, 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 or the promise of a better life, that, that all of God's promises are available to us always, like that indiscriminate um, seeding, if you will, of the, of the planet. And therefore, am I not like the soil? And in fact, I took a look at some of the different qualities of soil that they talked about in the, in the parable, and I have to own up to most of them. Now, occasionally, I'm the good farmland. <laughs> occasionally, I can take an idea of wholeness or an idea of love and truly run with it, truly embrace it, make it a part of myself, and move forward in a way that is stunning. But you know what? It doesn't always work out that way. And in fact, uh, the, the seeds that just fall by the way of the path reminded me of something that happened to my stepfather a long time ago. So my stepfather was always uh, one of those kind of dreamer guys. And I remember something that haunted him his whole life was a real estate deal that he didn't make. So back in the late 60s, there was some waterfront property on the Willamette River here. And in fact, OHU has recently built kind of a high rise on it down there across from Ross Island. And my stepfather had the option of buying a fairly large parcel of that land for $10,000. Years later, so, so fast forward 20 years later, and, and, uh, and then, I don't know, the land was probably worth, I don't know, a few hundred thousand dollars, and then fast forward, and, and each time that there was talk about something going in there or whatever, well, my stepfather would wind up again, and he'd say, if only I had made that deal, you know, I could have retired, to, you know, whatever the story was. And you know what? That's like the seed that just falls by the side of the road. It's like you recognize, here's a great idea, you recognize an intention in yourself of something that sounds worthwhile or something that you ought to do, and then you just let it lay there. Ideas are worth everything on this planet, I think. If you, if you imagine anything that brought, has brought uh, uh, wealth or fame or, or joy or love to the planet, there has been an idea, an intention for doing something different behind it. But how many countless ideas were, were left just to lay for maybe potential regrets later, <laughs> but no fruition. Then some of the seeds, some of the ideas, some of the ideas that God may have that, that we could benefit from, some of those fall upon barren, rocky soil. Now these are the kind of people, I think, that, that are hoping that God will do all the work. And, and, and certainly in the science of mind, we do believe that it is the power of our intention that will accomplish all, but we also believe that we have to participate a little bit, that we have to move forward in the line of what it is we want. And if our soil is too rocky, if we have become too hard, too, too uh, uh, wishing to be taken care of even, it's, it, it's not going to happen. It once again is a seed that is worthwhile. It's an idea that's worthwhile. It's a way of being, a, whether it be a new job or the thought of going off to college or whatever it is, but unless we're willing to take steps forward, unless we're able to nurture that idea, unless we're able to provide it with an environment where it can flourish, it too will die. Next up, we're going to talk about the weeds. 
One of the seeds that, uh, that Jesus talked about fell upon a patch where the weeds came up and smothered the idea. Here, I got to tell you, I think there are as many weeds in my life on the inside as there are on the outside. But let's talk about the outside first, because that's always more fun. <laughs> and then I'll own up to the hard job. <laughs> Have you ever had a great idea or something that you really wanted to do, and, and just with that sweetness and innocence of life, you told your friends about it, and one by one, by one, they told you that you weren't smart enough to pull that off, that you didn't have enough money to start up that business, that you weren't well educated enough to, to handle that, or that you were the wrong age or the wrong ethnic group, or you know, it's like there are a billion reasons that even the people that we love dearly, even the people that we count on, and, and, and why do they do it? I don't think they're trying to thwart us from our greatness, right? I think they truly do love us, but there is something in them that doesn't imagine us changing. There is something in them that sees us locked down in a certain way, with a certain set of constraints, a certain set of liabilities, a certain past that has brought us to where we are, and, and whether they realize it or not, they don't necessarily want us to make progress, there are huge weeds in our existence, and we have to persist. If we allow the weed to take over, and what is the weed? It's doubt, it's fear, it's the, the belief that someone else knows better for me than I do. And if we allow that weed to flourish, we might never as well have had that idea to begin with. So it is up to us to begin gently, because many of these people we love, we depend on, but it is up to us to speak our truth from a place of confidence and assuredness. We must be able to say, well, that may have been true about me in the past, but I'm a different person now. That may have been true of an idea that I once had that failed, but this idea transcends that. We stand in our firmness, in our truth, in what we know to be that path that LaRonda was talking about, that road that we are on that is magnificent. We need to be able to stand there in our truth, in calmness, and refute anything that stands in the way. But I got to tell you, that isn't nearly as dangerous as the weeds that are right up here. Because the other set of weeds, the other set of beliefs of lack or not good enough, the other ideas that will interfere with our ability to achieve greatness and whatever, whatever greatness means to us are our own false beliefs, our own ideas of not good enough, our own uh, past maybe that has said, this hasn't been true for me in the past, why can it be true for me now? Are you ready to treat your own self with some firmness of mind? Yes. You see, this is, what it, this is what it requires. In the same way that you might have to stand up to a friend or a loved one and say, no, this is my dream and I shall have it. This is my path and I'm going to walk down it. You must take the same firmness, the same commitment with your own mind. And so as the doubts arise, the, 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 the beliefs that you're not good enough or that, or that you're not smart enough or that you can't go the distance or, or as little things that crop up that, that seem like they're picking away. You know what is so dangerous about the weeds? 
What is so dangerous about the weeds is right when they've germinated, you can spot them. I've been out in the garden lately, and I gotta tell you, in my garden, there is a whole crop of weeds more than anything else right now, and they're all about this high, and when I look at them, I am overwhelmed because I know that within a few months, they have the potential of crowding out everything in my garden. This is what can happen when we just begin to see something that would interfere with our belief in our own self. Just a little niggling reminder, right? Oh my gosh, that phone call that didn't go so well. That bank officer that initially turned us down on financing that new idea. That, that, uh, that person that you were so interested in that seemingly snubbed you a little bit. And suddenly it's like you're seven years old again and you're, you're afraid of life. Is it true? And it was the littlest thing. It was the, just the glimmer of a weed that in your mind suddenly got as big as your grand idea. Here is where we must be stalwart. Here is where we must have the same firmness with which we would deal with a family member or a friend and say, no, no, I tell myself this is my path of goodness. I am to have that loving relationship. That, that new job is to be mine. We reaffirm what it is that we wish to experience in life, whether it be abundance or, or joy or, 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 or wisdom or whatever, you know, whether it's going back to school or getting getting a new job, it is for me and I shall have it. And when anything gets in the way, and in particular when I get in the way, I will fall back on that sure knowledge that I can have what I choose, that I can believe what I wish to believe, that I can make progress aligns along the lines that I wish to progress. The weeds are the worst, friends. And most of them, most of them that will really get you in trouble are here. I think there's a, a piece of us, maybe it's because we had our teenage years, right? And we're a little bit used to refuting someone who has other ideas for us than what we have, right? So, <laughs> so that, you know, use that. Use your teenage, leftover teenage angst that if other people are the weeds, you can just stand firm, you know, dig your heels in like when you were 14 and I'm not going to do that. And the family should go on its own vacation because I want to do my thing. <laughs> Right? So use that angst, but also use it on yourself. When you have self-doubts, when your own ideas of limitation maybe, or, or a belief that you don't quite have what it takes, allow yourself the same firmness of being to say to yourself, what is true and good for me will remain and then keep going. Now the third level of interpreting a parable is the personal level. And you might think that we've already been getting pretty personal here, but I wanna take it one step further. And this is part of your homework for this week, if you're willing. And that is we simply cast ourselves in the role of all the major players in that parable. So not only are you the soil, but you are also the sower. And you look at your life and you ask the kinds of questions like, what kinds of seeds of truth am I sowing? And are they even seeds of truth? As I interact with my friends and my family, 
Am I sowing seeds of love, of peace, of, of can-do-ness? Am I, am I there with them to love and support? Am I mimicking those, those uh, celestial seeds of, of harmony and joy? Or am I planting something else? What we know in the science of mind is what we plant, of course, is what we're going to reap. And so even if we, we're not thinking and we're, we're kind of spewing out a little bit of things that are unkind or unhelpful, of course, that's gonna come, that, those are the seeds that are going to flourish right in our own gardens. So take a look at seeds that you're planting, but also, in particular, again, the, the homework would be, what is your soil like? What, what have you prepared so that some of your dreams can come to fruition? If you're planning to go back to school, are you taking the necessary steps? Have you cleaned up your transcripts? Have you made applications? Have you thought about what you would do with this new education? Are you, are you moving along that path? Have you created a, a, a set of circumstances where this new idea will flourish, where it can be taken care of and, and properly nourished? Maybe you're working on a, a new family or a, a new home or a new job, whatever it is. Is your circumstance right for it? Have you created an environment? Have you created that soil in such a way that these seeds of wisdom, these glimmers of what it is you want to do will flourish? So that's your homework. It's your homework for this week. Portray yourself as both the sower, what, what ideas, what, what ways of being are you creating in the world, and also portray yourself as that soil. What kind of soil are you? And are you ready for your own magnificence to bloom forth? Do you have the tools in place? Are you ready for it? I'm going to close today with a, a final quote from Erwin Seal and a prayer. Here's what he says. If we are wise then, we shall work upon ourselves and condition our mental soil to receive and to respond to the seeds of God which are constantly being broadcast. Let us look to our soil, cultivate a healthy and vibrant expectancy of our good. Cultivate a love of the beautiful and the constructive. In other words, condition your mind with the thought of always your highest good. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one joy, one love. It is God. And what I know about God, because God is everywhere and everything, it also means me. I know that God's love is my love to experience and to look forward to. I know that God's joy is that playfulness that can exist in me. I know that God's abundance is, is mine to, uh, to enjoy and to use on this planet. I, I know that all the qualities of God are also mine. Those are the seeds indiscriminately coming down for, for each of us to receive. And for this day, I claim for each person here, that we can be prepared that when those seeds of love are, are in the offing, we say yes to them. We, we prepare ourselves to be loved and to love. That when those ideas of uh, whether it be utility or joy, whatever it is that, that would make our heart's desire real on this planet, when we receive those seeds, we nourish them with such beauty and such love. This is what I know 
for this part of God sitting before me today that there is good in this universe and we shall have it. And so with gratitude, I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.